We're going to go to the book of 2 Peter, chapter number 1, 2 Peter chapter number 1. If you were here for Sunday school this past Sunday, we visited this passage of scripture and uh, we're going to look at part of it again tonight um, as we get into a series, um, a series on sanctification. I, I really believe that that we don't I really don't believe we put enough emphasis on the doctrine of sanctification anymore. The newfound Christianity that is spreading across our country and around the world, I guess, just pretty much says that we don't have to separate ourselves to walk with Christ. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible has always taught sanctification, always taught that we're set apart for a reason. And certainly we have to work at that also. Oh, let me say, uh, glad to have uh, Pastor Martin Stevens and his family with us in service tonight. Very glad that you could be with us and and to look forward to visiting with you here in just a little bit, Brother Stevens. Thank you for being here tonight. <clears throat> Second Peter chapter number one, are you there? Let's Let's read and we'll get on into this. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. And hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. Now we're going to stop our reading there. <clears throat> Excuse me, the, the title of the series for the next few weeks be Sanctification Becoming More Like Christ. I mean, we do want to be more like Jesus, right? That's, a, that's what we should be striving for. And the title of the message tonight is The Longest Journey Begins with the First Step. If we're going to get on that road, we have to take the first step. So let's pray and we'll get going. Father, one more time, we just ask for your blessing upon this service. It's only you can bring it. We need your help, Lord, as we deliver the message that you'd give us clarity of thought and speech and just guide us and direct us. I, I I don't fully know... Uh, every need that's represented in this uh, sanctuary tonight, but you do. And so we pray that you'd speak to hearts clearly and you would help us, Lord, uh, to even have more of a desire to be more Christ-like in all that we say and do. Um, Help us now, we pray, please, in Jesus Christ's wonderful name, amen and amen. Thank you so much for standing for the reading of the Word of God, and please do be seated. The Christian life is really not as much about a destination as it is the journey. And don't get me wrong, having heaven as my final destination is very, very important. And I look forward to that. One day get to spend eternity with the Lord himself in that wonderful, very real place called heaven. I do look forward to that. But when we get there, it's going to be a whole new life. I mean, I don't know, we're going to be delivered from this body of death, hallelujah, I'm thankful. I mean, we get to drop this old robe of flesh, rise to meet Him, it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful time, and it's going to be a whole new life. But right now, we're to be working at having the life that God wants us to have while we're still here. I mean, it takes diligence, it takes work, it talks about that, verse 5, and beside this, giving all diligence, Add to your faith. There's some things that we are supposed to do along the way. And so it, it takes work to get this done. Um, it, it has a, 
Um, our, our salvation, well, our, our life, our, our Christian life, it has an unmistakable beginning called salvation when you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and it has a specific destination called glorification, which one day we will reach that. And if we've trusted Christ as our Savior, uh, we're saved and we're heaven-bound, and there's nothing that can get us out of that. Go ahead and say amen right there. I'm very thankful. And, and, and between those two points of, of salvation and glorification, we as believers, we are meant to walk down two parallel paths. Kind of like having one foot on each path. And, and the two paths, uh, they represent God's twofold purpose for the Christian life. And those two are, are this. Number one, sanctification. That's that personal growth that produces Christ-likeness in all areas of our life. And uh, it takes work, doesn't it? No, no, it takes a lot of prayer, and it takes a lot of application of the Word of God. It takes a lot of uh, obeying what God would have us to do. It takes a lot of uh, dying to self. Absolutely so. But not only sanctification, but evangelism. The, The multiplication of disciples. I mean, advancing the gospel around the corner and around the world. I got saved by the grace of God, and God left me here. He didn't take me home immediately. And he left me here as his child that I might tell other people about what happened to me. So that they might come to know Christ as their Savior, and that they could live the life that God has for them while they are still here. And and no, no, this is very important. I mean, we're we're to be set apart. We're to be a peculiar people. That doesn't mean peculiar. I mean, that means that we're set apart to be used by God. Absolutely. Well, to use us for what? Evangelism. To tell people about Jesus Christ. No, no, no. That is a vital part of our Christian life. That's a vital part. If you, you already know this. It's a vital part of Christ's likeness. To want to see people saved. To want to see their sin forgiven. To want to see them living the life that God has for them. It is a vital part of our Christianity. And and those purposes are found throughout the whole New Testament, both directly and indirectly. No Christian life is totally complete, really, I mean totally complete, until it embraces both. Think about Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. He says, go ye therefore, that's evangelism. He says, teaching them to observe, that's sanctification. No, no, we're going out there and we're telling them they get saved by the grace of God and then we teach them to observe. Come on, we, we get them to follow in baptism and join a local New Testament church and then we teach them to observe the sanctification, that they're to be set apart, that there's a purpose that God has for their life. Philippians 1.6, being confident in this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work and you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's sanctification. He continues to work on us and continues to work on us. I'm thankful. Uh, as of last month, I've been saved for 37 years. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And I'm telling you, God still has a lot of work to do on this old boy. But when he began it, begun it, began, which would, it don't matter. When it started a long time ago, he hadn't quit. He hadn't quit. No, even those times that I wasn't necessarily tuned in on him, he was tuned in on me. And still trying to get me to where I needed to be. On down in that same Philippians chapter 1 verse 12 it says, But I would, I would ye should understand, brethren, that these things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. That's evangelism. We're to be taken, no, no, we're to be taking the gospel to people. Look, the apostle Paul, he, he was a persecutor of Christians. He killed some, he threw some in jail. And then God, well, he met the Lord on the road to Damascus. And he got saved by his grace. And then God worked on his life for a period of time and then brought him out to go out and tell others that he had been saved by God's grace. And man, Paul loved giving his testimony, didn't he? Come on, Bible readers. I mean, Paul loved giving his testimony, telling how he got saved by the grace of God. And he was, he was adamant. I mean, I mean, he had a heart. He wanted people to know Jesus Christ. I mean, to the point that he was willing to tell people about it, even though he had to spend a lot of time in jail for it. So, I mean, God had done something. And then where we read here uh, in, in, in verses 5 through 8, add your, faith, add, your, add your faith virtue and the virtue, knowledge and knowledge, temperance, all that, that's sanctification. 
I mean, we're adding to our life that we might be more like Jesus Christ. And then over in chapter 3, in verse number 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's evangelism. I mean, He sets us apart. I mean, He sanctifies us, sets us apart that we might be a light that shines, that we might be the salt of the earth, that we might tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, it's, it's really supposed to be a part of our Christianity, of our Christian life. We, that's me and you, all of us, are supposed to be doing something to get people to Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's part of of our sanctification. It's part of the life that we are supposed to live for God. And both of these paths are meant to be traveled personally. I mean, every one of us as believers must take uh, personal responsibility for our own spiritual growth as well as being involved in teaching others, uh, reaching others for Christ. No, no, we, we have to take responsibility. Uh, no, no, we're either growing closer, closer to the Lord or we're not. But it's our personal responsibility to do that. Look, I'm going to do everything I can to try to help people to grow closer to Christ. I, I want to do that, and I will, and I'll put out time and effort. I will do that. But I'm telling you, it's a personal responsibility whether or not they're going to choose to do those things. They've got to do that. I can't force feed anybody. I can't make anybody get saved. I can't make anybody live for God. I can't make anybody grow in Christ. I mean, it's a personal responsibility. But both paths really are meant to be traveled at the same time. It's really a mistake to think that a new believer has to be some mature Christian before they can begin to witness for Christ. I'm telling you, I got saved by the grace of God out of a life of drug addiction. And the next thing I know, I'm telling everybody I know that I got saved. I mean, man, alive. Jesus saved my soul. Are you saved? I mean, I, I wasn't even sure what was going on. I remember talking to a doctor as, you, as he was sewing up, as he was sewing up Sarah's head. Sarah fell down in the mall. She was just not even as tall as the pulpit and fell down, blood everywhere. We took her to the emergency room. I'm back there with her. I mean, she's, she's in panic and he's trying to sew up her head and I said are you a Christian I, I mean I couldn't help myself I just talked about Jesus everywhere I went he said no he said no no I'm Catholic I said well you better get saved you're gonna go to hell this is gonna be bad it's not good I'm and I wasn't trying to be ugly I just man I just wanted people to have what I got you know I mean, really, no, I wasn't trying to, I really, I, it was just, you know, and it didn't matter. I, I mean, everywhere I went, whether I went and, and I paid for my gas or bought a Coke to drink or whatever the case may be, I was just telling people about Jesus. I didn't even know about tracks back then. had no idea. I just wanted people to know what I had and have what I had. It was a wonderful thing. God, God instills that in us. I really do believe that he does that. You don't have to be a mature Christian to tell other people about Jesus. You don't have to be a mature Christian to pass out tracts. You don't have to be a mature Christian to invite people to church. No, no, no. You just have to know Christ. Amen. And I mean, he really wants us to be doing these things. It's frequently said, it's been frequently said that, that, that witnessing is simply one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. <laughs> That's a good thing, isn't it, man? I mean, to be telling people. Our witness for Christ can and really should begin immediately after salvation. And here's what happens if it doesn't, or if we allow someone to pour cold water on that, I'm telling you, it can be detrimental to our Christian growth, to our Christian walk. I, no, no, I believe a lot of people don't have the joy of the Lord that they should have simply because they are unwilling to tell people about Jesus Christ. They're unwilling to pass out gospel tracts. They're unwilling to invite people to church, whether they're embarrassment or fear or whatever the case may be. But I'm, I'm telling you a big part, no, 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 a big part of our Christianity should be trying to get people to Jesus. Uh, evangelism. It, it's something that we should be doing. It, 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 no, no, no. In fact, one of the greatest motives that we can ever embrace for growing in Christlikeness is that we can be more fruitful in witnessing for Christ. I mean, we should be praying about that. Lord, help me. I want to be fruitful in that area. I want to have the boldness to talk to people about Jesus Christ. I want you to lead me to someone that I can invite to church or share my salvation testimony with. I mean, we should be looking for those opportunities, praying for those opportunities, asking God to help us to share 
share that with people around us. It could be family, friends, co-workers, whatever the case may be. Maybe your next door neighbor. I'm telling you, it's very important that we are telling people and pointing souls to Christ as many as we can. We should always be growing in grace so that we can point more people, point more people to Jesus. But both paths also are meant to be traveled in partnership with others. Uh, and, and specifically in company with the members of a local church. I say it all the time, but I say it all the time because I mean it. I'm very thankful for Riverside Baptist Church. And I'm not talking about the building. Building's beautiful, but building's not the church. I'm talking about the, the, the people, the family, Riverside Baptist Church. I'm very, very thankful because, because we are working together. I, I mean, no, no, no. We, we are to be, we're, we're to be traveling this path with others. It helps us to stay on track, doesn't it? Come on, it, it helps us to have the other people encourage us or to have other people to encourage along the way. Isn't it an amazing thing how you can have a really rotten day and, and boy, you can pray and come to church and it's like, Lord, I just need something from you. And then God will lead you to somebody that had a worse day than you did and you can encourage them along the way and it helps your heart. Come on, it's a good thing, isn't it? I mean, it really is. It's a wonderful thing. And we should come to church looking how we can edify someone else, how we can lift up someone else, how we can encourage someone else along the way. We, we ought to be looking for those, those opportunities. And that's one of the reasons that we should beat it church every time that the doors open it's very important hebrews chapter 10 verse 23 says let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for he is faithful that promised it and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works not forsaking the assuming of ourselves together as the manner of some is but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching well i'm telling you i see the day approaching and we should be an encouraging people to be in the house of God. And we should be an encouraging one another when we come to the house of God. We need to be doing this. It's good for our spiritual growth. God places us as, as individual members into the body of Christ with the responsibility of having the same care one for another. Come on. We, no, no, no. The church, the body of Christ right here. I mean, he places us in here, doesn't he? Come on, one of the questions I have, first questions I ask anyone that comes to me with an interest of being a part of Riverside Baptist Church is this, well, is this where God wants you to be? Because I really do believe that God directs us where He wants us to be. And every part of the body is essential. It's important. It, 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 it has its job. <laughs> it's important that we be a part of something like this. I mean, he does that. We have the same care. He wants us to have the same care for one another while perfecting one another until we come, until we come in the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, it says in Ephesians chapter 4. Hallelujah to God. God brings us together in a church so that we can help and encourage one another to grow into his Christ-likeness. <laughs> no, you really ought to be happy about that because none of us have arrived. None of us. None of us are exactly where we need to be. None of us. No. But isn't it good that we can be around other people that haven't quite arrived yet either? <laughs> Come on, and we can encourage one another. Come on, in our failures, in our weaknesses, I mean, we, and, 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 and when God does give us victories, we can share those things and we can glory together in all of that. I'm thankful that I have a church family. I'm thankful that I'm part of a church that is trying to reach people with the Lord Jesus, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I'm thankful that I have brothers and sisters in Christ that encourage me. God brings us together in a church so that we can encourage one another. Every local congregation is charged with the responsibility of striving together for the faith of the gospel. According to Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 27, we're here supposed to be striving together. So, we're going to be looking at the path of sanctification in the next weeks ahead. And, and, and we'll consider what the Bible says is involved in growing to be more like Christ. Now, I'm going to lay some groundwork tonight. and Hopefully, it doesn't bore you to tears. I, I, I'm hoping, I pray that it doesn't. But, but I want to touch a few things. 
The Apostle Peter, he wrote to those who had obtained like precious faith with himself and the other apostles. Now, that's a very important point because it tells us that the factors of the Christian faith had not changed. Um, the understanding of that faith may have grown, and it definitely did, but the elements of that faith had remained the same. Um, in these opening verses here, Peter writes to those that had obtained that faith how they needed to add to that faith. And tonight I want to see what we obtain when we come to faith in Christ and what adding to our faith will accomplish in our lives. So it says here, verse number four, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that you might be partakers of the divine nature. Let me stop there for just a second. What exceeding great and precious promises that Jesus came born of a virgin, that he died of vicarious death, shed his blood for the sin of mankind, that he was laid in a tomb for three days but rose from the dead that time afterward? No, 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 no. The death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, exceeding great and precious promises, and that if a person will repent and trust Christ as their Savior, they can be born again by the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. Amen. And, and, and because of that, we can, we can have this divine nature. By these, you might be partakers of the divine nature, might be saved by the grace of God, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also, no, let me back up one verse there. It says this, according as his divine power had given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that had called us to glory and virtue. So God has called us to live a different life, a life of glory and virtue. And it says here that he has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. That No, no, once we're saved by the grace of God, that we have everything that we need at that point to live the life that God wants us to live. Come on, it's all of Him. He saved our soul, and He gives us what we need to live our life for Him. <clears throat> Isn't it an amazing thing? And I, I don't know about your salvation. I can only really talk about mine. But it, it really amazes me still to this day, even all these years later, decades later, it really amazes me that I was saved out of such a, a, such a hard life, not knowing anything about church, not knowing anything about the Bible and such things like that. And still, after I got saved, I had such a desire I mean, things in my life changed. Things in my heart changed. I didn't want to do drugs anymore. I didn't want to go to the bars anymore. I, I didn't want to talk the filthy language I talked before that time. I mean, there were some things. No, 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 no. God, when the Holy Spirit of God moved in, when I got saved, and when you got saved, I mean, God does some changing in here, doesn't He? That's just pretty much instantaneous. And that doesn't mean we're perfect from that time forward. But it does mean that He has given us what we need from that time to be victorious in areas of our life. And the more that we yield to Him, the more we give in to Him, and the more we, we uh, obey Him, the more He does. And He continues from that point forward. Isn't it right, Brother Denny? He continues from that point forward to clean up our lives and work on us year after year after year after year after year, never giving up on us, but continuing to work trying to get us to that place. But He is the one that gave us the wherewithal, you know, to... to, to um, well, we were saved, man alive. We were saved, and He set us apart. He sanctified. We're sanctified holy somewhere in heaven. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful. I'm really thankful for that. But we still got some work to do while down here. Down here. So, uh, in verse number one, Peter refers to Jesus as our Savior. And you know that uh, we know that it is through our faith in Christ alone that we receive salvation. It's not in church membership. It's not in good works. It's not in baptism. It's not in any of those things. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ that we receive salvation. However, the word salvation, as precious as it is to you and I, it's really not sufficient to describe what happened to us when we did place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The salvation that we obtained is a very complex, no doubt, work of God. And it's composed of a lot of individual uh, components, all of which occur, occur immediately, I mean instantly, the moment a sinner calls upon Christ to save their soul. 
I, I guarantee you, that day that I got down beside my coffee table in Longview, Texas, just a hopeless, dopehead drunk, and, and, and trusted Christ as my Savior, more things happened to me in that instant than I could even begin to understand at that point. Truly. And it all happens just like that. Uh, and so I want to I share some of those, because uh, we, we certainly don't have time for all of it, but, but I want to share some of those. And I want you to understand this. I, I, what I give you here is not any specific order for sure, because these are, are not things that happen progressively at salvation. I, I mean, no, no, these aren't things that happen one after another. It happens all at one time, all at one time. Excuse me. And, and I believe that we can, I believe we can shout to the glory of God about these different things. And I'm going to name a few. And again, I'm, I'm laying groundwork for the, for the weeks ahead. So please bear with me here. And I would encourage you, preacher guys, I'd encourage you to take some notes right here because this is going to help you a lot later on down the line. Um, when we trusted Christ as our, as our Savior, we received redemption. Redemption. Ephesians 1.7 says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of of his grace. Romans 3:24 says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So to be redeemed means that we were bought with the price. Somebody say amen. amen. The precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ was shed for you and me. He paid the price that we could have our sins forgiven. I mean, it means that our sin debt has been paid and we're freed from the enslavement of sin. Hallelujah. At the time of salvation, we no longer belong to the devil, but the ownership of our lives has been returned to God. Somebody say amen. I'm telling you, redemption is a wonderful thing. I have been redeemed. I love that song. I love songs about redemption. I love songs about the blood of Christ. I am very thankful that he paid the price for my sin. But also at the time of salvation, we got forgiveness. Ephesians 1, where I read there, the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. Again, I don't know what your life was before you got saved, but I know what mine was, and I sure am glad all that stuff was washed away. I sure am glad that I was forgiven for all of those things. Colossians chapter 1 verse 14 says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Acts chapter 13 verse 38 and 39 says, Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. The law never saved anybody. No, 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 no. But, but we that have trusted Christ, we have been forgiven. And that which is forgiven is no longer subject to guilt or condemnation. We're no longer condemned. And really, we no longer have to carry the guilt of those past sins. We don't have to carry that anymore. Uh, no, no, no. The devil will try. It. Isn't it crazy how he just continues to throw your past up at you and throw your past up at you? I mean, he just continues to throw up these things that you have done. I mean, he just wants you to dwell on all of that. I'm telling you, that's not God that does that. God not only forgave us, he forgot. He chose to do that. And, and so we have forgiveness of sin, and we don't have to carry that guilt anymore. That was taken care of. The biblical concept of forgiveness is that our sins are removed. They're removed. I mean, they're no longer there to come between us and God. Psalm 32, verse 1 and 2. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Hallelujah. Our sin has been removed. Okay, I'll get excited by myself then. When we get saved by the grace of God, we, we obtain righteousness. Righteousness. Philippians 3, 9 says, And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. We have Christ righteousness. I'm so thankful for that. Because my righteousness, as the Bible says, is like filthy rags. It's not worth anything whatsoever. 
2 uh, Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made us to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, in Christ. Romans 4.5, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. When we receive Christ as our Savior, God exchanges our sins, God exchanges our sins for Christ's righteousness. If that doesn't excite you, I'm telling you something wrong along the way. I am so thankful. And when we receive Christ as our Savior, God deposits the merits of Christ into our account so that His righteousness becomes our righteousness. (laughs) I'm, I'm telling you, Brother John, that makes it a lot easier to lay my head on my pillow every night. The the righteousness of Christ, Brother Doug. The righteousness of Jesus Christ imparted to us. Is that amazing or what? No, it really is amazing. No, no, no. Come on. Come on. Please don't. Please don't. Please don't lose the excitement of your salvation. Please don't lose the excitement that Jesus Christ died for your sin and rose again. And that when you trusted him as your personal savior, that all these things happened to you. Uh, no, 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 no. Come on, come on. I, I, know, I know that life is hard. I, I, know, I know that we go through a lot. I know that the world can just seem to drag us down to nowhere. But I'm telling you, we that are children of God, we that have trusted Christ as our personal Savior, we need to think about everything that happened to us when we did trust Christ as our Savior. Because it will keep us looking up. And it will keep us moving forward. And it will keep us more determined that we are going to allow Him to sanctify us to set us apart, that we are going to work at being separated from this world, that we might be a light that shines brighter, that we might be the salt of this earth. I tell you, it does us real well to remember what all God did for us when he saved our soul. It's a good thing. It can be a very good thing. But no, 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 no. We can't let this life... We can't let this life rob that away from us. We can't, get in, we can't get into such a rut that we come to church just because it's the right thing to do. We should come to church because, because God has saved our soul and because He has done so much for us. And we want to come and we want to sing praises to Him and we want to worship Him and we want to yield to Him and we want to obey Him. I'm telling you, friend, it does us real well to remember what God did when He saved our soul. It's a really a wonderful, wonderful thing. Thing. Wonderful thing. Also, at the time of salvation, we got justification. We were justified. Romans chapter 3, verse 24 says, being justified freely by his grace. Hallelujah. Romans 5 1 says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. 1 Corinthians 6 11 says, and such were some of you, but you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. The word justified is a judicial word that means to render a verdict of not guilty. Mercy, mercy, mercy. I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. The Lord Jesus Christ stands in the presence of God and says, Oh, no, Lord, He's not guilty. (laughs) Mercy sakes alive. I'm so very thankful. I'm so very thankful. Justification is the act whereby the judge of all mankind... In the court of divine justice, pronounces a man innocent of the sins that were charged against him. You know what makes that so great? You know what that makes that so great to me? What makes it so great to me is I know I'm not innocent. Come on, Brother Dan. Pronounced innocent. By God Himself. (laughs) Because of what He did. Because of what He did. Man, I've been justified. I mean, in the sight of God, it's like I've never sinned before. And that's just wonderful to me because I know me. And we should allow that to excite us. We should allow that to 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 uh, uh, to exhort us to to push us 
to want to live more for the Lord. Truly. That He did that for us? All right, you Baptists, you just believe once saved, always saved. It's what the book teaches. Yeah, eternal life. We're going to get to that in a minute, but it's what the book teaches. Well, you just believe that, so then, you know, and you, you know, you, you're forgiven, so you can just live your life the way you want to. Oh, no, 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 no. Anybody that's truly saved by the grace of God does not have that mindset. I'll say it again. Anybody that's truly saved by the grace of God will not have that mindset. You know, oh, I've been saved. Now I can just live my life the way I want to. I'm telling you, I got saved out of that lifestyle I got saved out of, and that's the last thing I want to do is just live any way that I wanted to after that, after that fact. I'm telling you, God dealt with me. I, I just wanted, I wanted to yield. I wanted to be better and still do all these years later. I just, Lord, help me, help me. I'm not worthy. I know that. I'm not worthy of doing anything for you. But Lord, you did something for me that I didn't deserve anyway, and I just want you to keep working. Justification is God's official recognition of the righteousness imputed to the life account of a believer in Christ. It's such a wonderful, wonderful thing. When we got saved, He gave us eternal life, everlasting life. John 6, 47 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. If life lasts forever, when's it going to end? Well, it's never going to end. No, 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 no. John 10, 28. And I give unto them eternal life, eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. We don't have to worry about that. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Oh, come on. If God sealed something, nobody's going to break that seal. Oh, no, 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 no. Not at all. Every man or woman has a beginning. Everyone that's been saved, every man, woman, boy, girl that's been saved, they, they, they have a beginning, but, but there's not going to be an end. Okay, let's think about it this way. Every person that's ever born has a beginning, but there'll be no end for their existence, whether they're saved or not. No, everybody's going to exist somewhere forever. We'll either be in heaven, or we'll end up in the lake of fire. Only two choices. I'm glad I have eternal life. That when I got saved, God gave me eternal life. Well, when's that start? Already did. It did. No, no, when I got saved, I'm, I'm already living it. No, no, when this old body closes its eyes in death, I'll be more alive than I've ever been. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And eternal life, by proper definition, is really life without beginning or end. And God alone... Stay with me here. Stay with me, dear. God alone possesses eternal life. But He gives us a gift. God's gift of eternal life is the uh, impar uh, impartation to us of His own life, which we receive in Christ when we trust Him as our Savior. Come on, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm telling you, we get to live with Him forever. Eternal life. He gave that to us. When we were saved, we were reconciled. Reconciled. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, trying to get other people. To Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1. Therefore being justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, verse 10 in Romans 5 says. For if, when we, for if when we were enemies. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled. We shall be saved by his life. Because of man's disobedience of God's laws. Sinners 
are viewed as being in rebellion against God. And by reconciling us, reconciling us to God, Jesus restores peace between us and God. I'm thankful I can know the peace of God. I'm thankful because of the blood of Jesus Christ, I've made peace with God. When God saved us, He gave us a new nature. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. He gave us a new nature. 2 Peter chapter 1, where we read there, verses 3 and 4, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us uh, to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, that new nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. When we receive Christ, we, we experience a new spiritual birth. Jesus said, you must be born again. John chapter 3, verse 3 Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter, in, enter, the king, into, enter into the kingdom of heaven. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit and spirit. I'm very thankful in April 1984 that I was born again by the Spirit of God. And he gave me a new nature. And the fight's been on ever since between the new nature and the old nature. And I'm telling you, the one that we feed the most is the one that's going to win the most. If we're feeding that new nature the way that we should, it's going to overcome. If we continue to feed that old nature with all the things that we used to partake of, it's going to be the one that overcomes. And our light won't shine bright. And we won't be the salt that we're supposed to be. And we won't be set apart the way that God plans for us to be. In, in conjunction with that new birth, we received a new nature, new capacities, new appetites that did not exist with, uh, uh, within us when we were in our lost condition. I'm telling you, all I wanted when I was lost is what I wanted, which was nothing good for me or anybody around me. And I got saved by the grace of God, and all of a sudden I wanted things I never wanted before. You know, like church attendance and reading my Bible and Christian music. I mean, it's like all these things. No, no, God, God did that to me, that new nature. A new life in Christ is truly possible. Please get this. A new life in Christ is truly possible because we receive a new nature when we're born again. We can live the life with God's help that God wants us to live because we received that new nature when we trusted Christ as our Savior. Now, in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 3, Paul calls, the Apostle Paul calls our salvation great, a great salvation. It truly is. Because from the moment, the moment that we receive Christ as our Savior, our lives are made completely new. No, from that moment we receive Christ, our lives are made completely new. We are completely and immediately equipped to succeed in our journey toward Christ-likeness. I'll say it again. We are completely, at the, at the time of salvation, we are completely and immediately equipped to succeed in our journey toward Christ-likeness. We have what we need at that time. To allow God to take us on. He did that for us. However, to fully benefit from our initial precious faith, as the Apostle Peter said, in Christ. We have to accept responsibility for adding to our faith the qualities we find here in 2 Peter 1 uh, uh, verses 5 through 7. And add your faith, virtue, and virtue, knowledge, knowledge, timbers. And we must be diligent. That means we have to work at it in doing so. And then verses 8 through 10, where we read this tonight, 
Peter gives us two really wonderful motives for following his plan for adding to our faith. So, we're to add to our faith virtue, willingness to please God. And the virtue, knowledge. Knowledge of the Word of God, what God would have us to do. And the knowledge, temperance, that willingness to practice what we have learned. And temperance, patience, that willingness to keep on doing it no matter how hard it gets. And on down there we go. And as we add these things, stay with me just a few more minutes. As we add these things, wonderful things happen in our life. As we add them. I, I tell, I, if, somebody, if somebody trusts Christ, one of the, one of the things that, that I try to tell them as soon as I can is from this point forward, never tell God no. Just don't, don't tell God no. Because this is the beginning this isn't the end. Oh, I got saved and it's all over. No, no, no. This, salvation is the beginning. New life. And if you continue to add to your faith, verse number 8 says this, For if these things be in you and abound, they, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So adding to your faith will make your life fruitful. Fruitful. One Bible commentator said this. He said, quote, Christian character is an end, is an end in itself, but it is also a means to an end. The more we become like Jesus Christ, the more the Spirit can use us in witness and service, end quote. Although it's very good. Absolutely. Or Christian character, what do you mean? Well, being diligent. Add your faith, virtue, and virtue, knowledge. No, no, being diligent. Come on, having good character. Look, you can have good character, you can have bad character. Isn't that right? Sure. So, so Christian character, good character, adding these things, I'm telling you, I, it's a means to an end. The barren life, the, uh, the barren life is a life without fruit. And every born-again believer is, is meant to bear fruit for Christ. We, we think first off the, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. I mean, we should bear that fruit. And, but we're not going to bear it if we're not working at doing what God would have us to do. We're not going to be fruitful like that. And certainly we want to see the fruit of, of seeing others come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Man, oh man, seeing people come to church and come to church and come to church and finally trust in Christ. I mean, hallelujah, what a wonderful thing. We want to see that kind of fruit. Surely we do. And then we talk about the, we could talk about the fruits of Christian service. I, make, I mean, making a difference in the lives of other people. That's joyous fruit. Come on, to be able to sit down with somebody and open up this book and share with them the wonderful riches that come out of here and watch it change their life, watch it help them to overcome things in their life, uh, to watch them grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I mean, to watch their life change completely, hallelujah, because we are going to serve God. Man, what great fruit that is. You know, it's really a shame, truly, that we would know the truth of that. That we would know the truth of that. That we, as born-again believers, could help people to live a good life. If we would put forth some effort to do so. If we weren't selfish. If we're willing to serve the Lord. Even by just being a really good friend and sharing the truths of this book. No, no, no. Man, I'm telling you, a friend like that, a friend that will help us with this, man, what a friend. A, a friend that will point out when we're doing wrong according to this, what a wonderful friend. Absolutely so. 
And, and, and it's a wonderful thing, isn't it, when people begin to take heed to what you're trying to share with them. Come on, I'm not talking about shoving anything down anybody's throat. You know me better than that. I'm talking about sharing the unsearchable riches of the Lord Jesus Christ and helping them along the way, serving God and helping them with this wonderful book. I don't know, standing for what is right, but going ahead and sharing it with other people too that they might do what, what God would have them to do. Well, preacher, you know, I've tried to do that along the way with different people. And there's, you know, they just don't listen. Look, not everybody's going to listen, but those that will finally listen, mercy, it's wonderful to see that fruit come out in their life. And we can't quit just because one person doesn't listen. Well, you know, preacher, I got saved, and, and then I went and told my best friend that I got saved, and they didn't seem to be too happy about that. And, and you know, and I tried to get them to come to church, and they didn't want to come to church. And, and, and you know, and, and then they, they just kept talking about, you know, the life that we used to live and all that. And, and, and I tell you, and I tried to get them, and it didn't work for me. And, and so you're just going to let them drag you back down? Is that what you're saying? I mean, why let them destroy all the fruit you can have in life? No, no, why, why allow one person to do that to you when you could go out there and tell somebody else and tell somebody else and tell somebody else and try to help somebody else along the way? I'm telling you, until you find somebody that says, oh my, can you tell me more about that? There are people like that. And we can't give up just because, no, no, no. And we can't just lose our testimony just because somebody doesn't want to listen to us. We have to determine that we're going to allow God to sanctify us, set us apart, to use us. That No, no, that we'll be separate from the world. You can't, you can't, te- <laughs> you can't teach people to live for Christ if you're living like the world. Somebody should have said amen right there. It's a fact. God wants to sanctify us. He already saved our soul. He wants to sanctify us. Well, come so we can be fruitful. He wants us to be fruitful. I'm thankful for that. And God is glorified by a fruitful Christian life. John 15, 8. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. He's glorified in that. Our faithfulness to the journey towards Christ's likeness always leads to fruitfulness. Please get that. Our faithfulness, our faithfulness in the journey towards Christ-likeness. We're going to be faithful. Well, they, they don't want to follow. doesn't matter. You just keep following Jesus. Well, they don't want to hear anything about that. You just keep listening unto Jesus. You continue to be faithful. You continue to be faithful. And be faithful. Our faithfulness to the journey toward Christ-likeness always leads to fruitfulness. Be faithful. But not only if we abound in these things can we be fruitful, but look at verse 10. Come on, write it down. Stay with me. Verse 10, wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling an election sure, for if you do these things, adding these things, ye shall never fall. So if you're doing these things, your life will be fall proof. Fall proof. Now hold it, hold it. Look up here for a minute. This is not, this is not a promise of perfection. It's not a promise of perfection. Christ-likeness is a goal that we will never fully realize in this life. No, 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 no. We, we, we have to get that. Christ-likeness is a goal that we will never fully realize in this life. We will always need to be growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Always. Come on, it's not like, well, preacher, I've added these things. What's next? It doesn't get there. For the rest of our lives, as believers, we will be adding these things or not adding these things. We never reach that full Christ-likeness. We are working toward it. But what this is, it's a, it, it, is a, it, it, it's, it, it is a promise of sure-footed progress in our Christian life journey. You know, Brother Andrew, I'm glad when I make a little progress. No, I'm, I'm thankful when God gives a little victory here and a little victory there. When I see a little fruit, 
over here, a little fruit over there. I'm, I'm, no, 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 no. Progress. And, and, and progress comes as we are just faithful to continue down this road. The, 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 the Christian, the believer that maintains a consistent walk with God, I mean faithfully growing in Christ, will never, please get this, will never fall into great sin. It's not going to happen. <clears throat> I've had friends in the ministry that have gotten into bad sin. I hate that. I get no joy out of saying that whatsoever. I, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But I've, I've talked to some. And I guarantee you, no, no, no. It, no, no, no. They were in a ministry. Man, I mean, God was used them. All, I, you know, but it's not like one day in, 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 while, they were, while they were doing everything they were supposed to do that all of a sudden they just fell into this great sin. Oh, no, 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 no. I've talked to them. It's like, well, what? Come on, brother. What, what happened? Well, I quit reading my Bible. That's usually one of the first things I've heard. Oh, well, I quit reading my Bible. And I just, you know, I was reading it, trying to get sermons out of it, but that's pretty much it. And I just quit reading my Bible. And when I did, my prayer life pretty much went in the bucket. And I don't know, it just seemed to be a, it seemed to be a bad trip after that. We, we have a promise here that if we will maintain this consistent walk, that we don't have to fall like that. The, the, the Christian who is constantly adding to their faith, I mean, growing in Christ, they're not going to fall back into the world. No, 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 no. As we, as we turn our eyes upon Jesus, the things of this world just grow more and more dim. If we keep our focus right, I mean, He continues to work in us to get us to where He's trying to get us. And that's really one another reason that we need to get every new believer into some form of discipleship. I mean, get them into the Word of God. Teach them to pray and read their Bible. Come to church and do all those things. So, so now I'm going to close with this. When you know Jesus as Savior, you have a purpose for living. No, no, no. It really doesn't matter where you're at in your life. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have a purpose for living. Definitely. Salvation is simply the first step on a wonderful life, a wonderful journey of commitment, and faithfulness to Jesus Christ. And, and every step forward is a step towards becoming more like our Savior. And every step forward is making our lives more fruitful for Him. And, and Lord willing, in the coming weeks, we're going to see how God can lead our lives step by step on the path of His purpose. And I hope that we will learn together practical lessons on how to add to our faith the, the, the qualities that produce this growing, fruitful life in Christ. Look, if we quit growing, if we become dormant, that's a horrible place. We're not excited about our salvation anymore. We're not excited about what's going on at our church anymore. We're not excited about seeing people saved and discipled anymore. We've quit growing. Something's wrong. We become dormant. Something's wrong. For the invitation tonight, here's the question. Are you still growing in the Lord? Or has your life become fruitless? I'm not looking, pointing fingers. I'm not trying to judge anybody. I'm telling you, that's just the invitation for tonight. Are, are you still really growing in the Lord? Or are you fruitless? Has your life become fruitless?
the title of the message, The Longest Journey Begins with the First Step. Maybe, maybe you just simply need to take a step to get going again. Sanctification is a process that is not going to happen into that is not going to happen in your life until you begin to head that way. Let's stand to our feet. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And I have no idea how you may have spoken to hearts tonight, but I know that we need you. And we should be excited about our salvation, whether we were saved yesterday or 37 years ago. We should be thankful for everything that you did in our life and our heart at that time. And we should be striving to grow. To grow closer to you, Lord. To add things to our life that are going to help us to be more fruitful. Lord, I just pray your perfect will would be done around the altar tonight. However you may have spoken to hearts, I pray people would respond. We've come here, we've praised you in song. We've heard from your word and now it's time for the worship. Lord, that we would, that we would bow our face to the ground and just be willing to submit ourselves to you in obedience. Please, Lord, bless the invitation we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Piano's going to play. Some have already made their way to the altar. You need to come tonight. Why don't you just go ahead and come? Come on, you, you know that you're not growing. Just be honest with yourself, with God. You know you need some help that only the Lord can give. Why don't you come and ask Him for some of that? Your Christian life has grown cold, boring, fruitless. You're more concerned with what you want than what God wants. Why don't you come talk to the Lord about it? He'll help you. He loves you. He wants to help.